0: If you would turn back to Luke chapter 15, uh, we're in a a fascinating little little, uh, chapter here with the whole chapter's three parables, but it's really just one parable that's uh, expressed in three different iterations, and there's good reason for that, uh, that will unfold as we go along. Last week, uh, we were looking at uh, the first of those, which was a very familiar story of uh, the parable of the lost sheep. But uh, remember what is so striking about this entire chapter and all of the parables in it is what led into it. We've been going through uh, Jesus uh, and his very strident mandates uh, that got to the point in, in chapter 14 about uh, you know that, that severe language about if you don't, hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister more than me then you have no part of me. Although that stridency had been building and building and building. Now all of a sudden, we come into these uh, these three parables or one parable, however you wish to look at them, a parable about the sheep, the coin, and the, and the two sons. Uh, and they are decidedly different in what they are saying to us. The theme of all of them uh, is that God loves to find the lost and he rejoices when he finds them that truth alone is is um, is worth pondering many many times in many different venues in many ways and and we will look at a few of them uh, today but it's a very profound truth that this god searches for the lost when you look uh, at the um, panoply of of false gods that various cultures have raised over the millennia. Uh, you don't usually see that. Uh, gods are normally feared, and um, you don't really want to be around them because bad things tend to happen. When you are, you're not perfect, and uh, they will be angry and upset and do this, that, or the other. This is such a total uh, opposite with uh, this God of Scripture that we are so privileged uh, that he found us and knows us and loves us. So the, the truth of, of what Jesus is saying in these three parables to those many people who are gathered around him is that Jesus uh, is a friend to lost sinners. And again, it would be difficult to to utter a more comforting phrase um, as a sinner um, Having having understood and felt uh, that searching eye that, that comes with love, uh, it is very, very good news indeed, arguably the best news uh, that we could ever know that we can come to Jesus regardless of our sin and, and that that is an ongoing statement uh, we, we tend uh, oftentimes to look at, at Christendom as as a decision, and certainly that's a part of it an important part of it. <clears throat> Uh, but it it keeps going. This this uh, life doesn't just um, head in a wonderful upward trajectory. It uh, has pitfalls along the way. Many of them quite severe. We pray for some of them uh, at the beginning of of every one of these classes, and in those situations as well, it doesn't have to be uh, our own personal sin. You may recall when we did on the on the little board. Uh, the concentric circles from early Genesis. Very, very applicable all the time. And that is the alienation that that, uh, Adam and Eve brought into the world by uh, bringing sin so that when every person is conceived, as David said, we are conceived in sin. We are sin. And we have those four alienations. They were alienated originally (coughs) Back in the garden and all of us uh, along with them, we're alienated from God, we're alienated from ourselves, we're alienated interpersonally, and we're alienated from this universe we live in. And those four results of sin uh, cause lostness of various ilk, and we're going to see some of those. We saw one last week which was interesting, a sheep. A sheep was lost. Now, why is the sheep lost? Well, the sheep uh, is an animal, it doesn't have... Uh, all of the the uh, cranial capacity, so to speak, that uh, a human might be assumed to have. And uh, the sheep just did its own thing and it got lost. And uh, I know some of you have been farmers and have told me uh, in many different ways how sheep, apparently if a sheep falls down and gets turned upside down on its back, it can't right itself. Somebody has to come along and, and help it up. Uh, so uh, this sheep was just doing its its thing and, and was lost. Now, what's the message there? Jesus, interestingly, ends that parable in verses 6 and 7. It says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. This is the, the shepherd who has found the lost sheep and, and walks home, apparently, with it draped over his shoulder. And the shepherd calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying... Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So even though that parable is about a sheep, uh, not about a soul, but about a sheep, uh, Jesus says, here is the point of it. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Um, But we could say quite a lot about the ending of that verse, actually. There is no one who needs no repentance, and Jesus didn't mean that literally, but what he's what he's focusing on here is the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, why would he bring a parable about a sheep into this notion of sinfulness and repentance? We're going to see it again. Uh, today, we're going to look at another one of these parables. It's only three verses long, about a woman who loses a coin. So here the lost object isn't even animate. Uh, It's a coin, it's a piece of metal. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, it's going to teach us at least five lessons to look at. Uh, So we're going to see chapter 15, verses eight, nine, and 10, which I will read. Verse eight, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, verse 10, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, Jesus brings us back uh, to this notion of sin and repentance Uh, In one sense, we could, I think, safely say that um, the point he's making is when it comes to being lost, the greatest loss is that person who is lost in sin, meaning that person whose sin is not covered by the blood of of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, But um, before we get to to that, I want to get to lesson number one that I think Uh, this parable teaches, and I'll give credit to Phil Riken. I I lean heavily on Phil for this, uh, his coverage of this particular parable, and I want to give uh, Phil his uh, his, uh, recognition. But um, interestingly enough, the very opening uh, words, three words of verse eight, or what woman now we've seen this repeatedly through through Luke, and I have have alluded to it. Uh, Luke of all four of the gospel writers, uh, they all will, of course include women in their uh, in the writings of their gospels. But Luke Luke is always very careful to balance and to to reach out to the women, uh, many of whom are following it. One of the recent passages we we. Uh, Said pointedly said, there were a number of women who were following Jesus around to hear him. The reason is this was very unusual for this culture and this time in human history. I would argue that it, uh, in one sense, uh, not so much here in America anymore, but uh, certainly in other cultures even today, women are still, in a sense, second-class citizens. Um, I remember uh, flying into a country... Uh, No sense not mentioning the country, but no sense to mention it either, I guess. Uh, But I was uh, met at the plane by a pastor and his wife, and um, we had this was this was a multi-country trip, so there was a lot of baggage. This was late in the trip. In fact, this was the last country that uh, that we were going to. It was a Westminster Seminary trip, and and, um, these I couldn't carry these 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 bags. And uh, But they were sitting there on the tarmac, and somebody had to carry them. So I'm struggling, and the other guys with me are struggling. And I looked to my host, and and he told his wife, bring the bags. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And, of course, we started walking, and I kept looking back, and there's his wife trying to, to struggle with these things, and she never could get them. We finally angered our host, frankly, not that I was that upset about it uh, and went back and managed to get help to get the bags in. It was infinitely worse than that in the era of history in which Jesus is living. And for Luke to keep coming with these stories about so many women is striking. I want to give you just a few examples of it. In Luke chapter seven, verses one to 10, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. And in Luke seven, 11 to 17, he raises a widow's son. Every time you see uh, Luke uh, give something uh, of a miraculous event in the life of Jesus, he almost invariably follows it immediately with helping, having helped a male, he will then help a female. This is we don't see uh, what is so striking about that, but the people in that day saw it, and the women uh, saw it, and the women are the ones uh, who are doing. Sp- no pun intended. So much of the heavy lifting is the women who are around the cross. It's the women who are around the tomb. It's the women uh, women who are uh, play a pivotal role in those events. Uh, the men do as well. I'm not uh, denigrating men, but I also want you to see what a unique thing this is. Uh, Luke chapter eleven verses five to thirteen. Uh, he talks about the friend at midnight. In verse eight, or chapter 18, verses one to eight, he talks about the persistent widow. Now, the reason I mentioned those two, even though they're separated by seven chapters, is they teach the same lesson. I want to read because it's important in what we're looking at today. It's reiterated in what we're looking at today. But Luke 11, uh, chapter five to 13 says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The impudence of the man who keeps pounding on the door. Uh, now, if you go forward, uh, Luke chapter 18 beat me down by your continual coming. Uh, the point of both of those very, very similar parables are the notion of persistence. And this is a theme. Remember the, the shepherd from last week. He's got a 100 sheep. He's missing only one of them. And uh, you sort of think, uh, if you're not the particular shepherd, they think, well, come on, one out of a 100, what do you do? No, no, this shepherd goes, leaves the ninety nine and goes until he finds the one well this uh, this woman has, is is uh, here in chapter fifteen is is doing the same thing she 's lost a coin one of ten uh, If you continue down this road in luke in chapter eleven verses twenty nine to thirty two he 's teaching about the sign of Jonah. And Jesus uses two examples from the Old Testament, one of uh, the men of Nineveh and the other one of the queen of the south. In chapter 13 of Luke 10 to 17, there's a woman with a disabling spirit. In 14, one to six, it's a man with dropsy. Both of those were miracles performed on the Sabbath, which made them unique. Luke chapter 13, 18 and 19, there's a man working his garden to sow a mustard seed. In verses 20 to 21, there's a woman in the kitchen mixing leaven with the dough. Uh, Those are both kingdom of God parables. Chapter 17, verses 34 to 36. Men are working in the fields while the women are grinding the grain. Two teachings about the coming of the son of man. So you see this pattern. And again, uh, we don't need to make that much of it, but the people who heard and read this gospel made a lot of it because it was singular in its focus to God uh, all these little uh, gender issues or whatever that we struggle with not not all of them we struggle quite a bit these days uh but uh, god does not uh treat anybody preferentially and conversely he therefore opens this seeking of the lost equally among everybody and it's a very unique part of this portion of uh, of god's word uh so this parable today it not only involves a woman but not uniquely this is this is not unique but but very um interestingly this woman represents God in this parable. Now at the end of Isaiah <clears throat> you can can look it up later if you wish Isaiah 66 verse 13 uh the, the last chapter of Isaiah now, the beginning of that verse, Isaiah sixty-six thirteen, 13 says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. God comes to his people, to his church and said, I'm going to comfort you as your mother. Uh, you, you've felt, you've known, you've heard, you've, you've seen the comfort uh, that a mother gives to her children. And I, God, am going to use that as my paradigm. Now, that too is very, very unusual. That doesn't happen much in the scriptures. Uh, God, the Father, of course, is a spirit. He's neither male nor female, but all of the uh, pronouns throughout Scripture are always male. Uh, the the leadership, the headship, and all of that uh, kind of thing is, is what is emphasized there, and I'm certainly not uh, trying to say anything to reverse any of that. I'm simply saying that it's, it's carried by Luke uh, to a very uh, interesting point here. Throughout church history, by the way, these three parables in Luke 15, they, they're clearly, uh, I, most people, frankly, through church history have seen Luke 15 as one parable. I have no trouble with that. Uh, but they generally assume, since Jesus is the shepherd with the sheep in the opening, and it's uh, it's um, the Holy Spirit who's, who's uh, supposedly this woman must be because it's the father who is in the third iteration. You remember when the two sons uh, are are both uh, wayward in their own particular ways, it's the father uh, who is clearly God. And uh, they think, well, therefore, then the the woman must represent the Holy Spirit, but that's not what she is about here in this parable. Uh, So again, another striking use of of Luke's um, Uh, courage, I would frankly call it. So the first lesson that this parable reiterates for us in Luke is Luke's willingness to uh, make certain that women are included 100% in the gospel message. Now, the second lesson for this one, how precious uh, we are to God. The whole of the three verses, uh, again, are underscoring this because here is another case of someone who has lost an item that is very, very dear to them. Uh, In this case, the woman has lost one of 10 coins. The the, uh, sort of nuance of these three verses is is that this woman is poor. Uh, This woman is is not uh, one of of those who could afford to lose money. Uh, Probably uh, most uh, ancient Near Eastern practices would have have, uh, implied that she probably kept these coins on a necklace, and one of the coins comes up uh, missing. She's, she's lost one of them. And how does she respond when you see uh, these verses here? Well, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and she seeks diligently for this coin until she finds it. You get the exact same impression of this woman that you do of that uh, shepherd. He's not going to stop until he finds that sheep. She's not gonna stop until she finds this lost coin. Now, when you translate that into our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Uh, when you become a Christian, our, our Father, our, our Savior, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this is working together uh, in a, with, with this one goal in mind, not to lose anybody. And Jesus, of course, says that uh, toward the end of John when he's telling the father, I haven't lost a single one of them that you gave me. And that is assumed. And that is also a point of, of uh, wonderful obedience on Jesus's part. But the point is, uh, God isn't going to lose anybody. He's he's not going to come up short. Nothing is going to happen in the world, whether it's a catastrophe or calamity or whatever, that is a surprise to him that makes him lose somebody, he's never going to be up in heaven saying, mm, I wanted that guy, but I'm not going to be able to get him. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that tsunami. I didn't think that plane would crash. I didn't blah, blah, None of that is going to happen. This, this searching until she finds it is, uh, is one of the characteristics that we see in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Active, working love, which is never, ever at rest. Think about that. Uh, not only when, when you're lying there in the middle of the night and a, and a thought comes in and whatever it is, can't, uh, you can't get back to sleep, uh, worrying about it. Uh, God is worrying about it, uh, not worrying. God is, God is pursuing it and he will get to the bottom of it. He will not stop until he has uh, made it. this scenario in our lives come out exactly as he intends it to for the purposes he intends it. That may not be a pleasant purpose, by the way. Um, I, I run into people all the time who look at um, at the world scene and they say, well, you know, I mean, come on, this is America. I'm thinking, yes, exactly. That is the problem. That isn't the solution. Uh, <coughs> yes, God is in control of, of this entire universe, but that does not mean he's going to send everything and everybody into pleasant pastures. Uh, but it does mean that he is actively working, lovingly, and never resting until he finds what he's looking for. It's also a self-denying love. Uh, is driven to gather a people for himself. This is, this is a God who loves this people, that he has absolutely established this universe in order to save, in order to have them close to him, and he will not stop at anything until that happens, even though it demands that he send his own son, perfect God, to this earth to take on your sin and mine. Uh, That is a powerful message that comes through, again, all of these these characters in these three um, aspects of a parable here. Uh, It is driven uh, to gather this people and willing to joyously Endure the cross. Remember last week we looked at that verse out of Hebrews 12. Uh, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now it's not the joy of the cross that he's, that that verse is talking about, but it's the joy of helping the Father, accomplishing the Father's purpose to gather those people that he loves. You, me, uh, any, all, Christians who have ever lived on this planet—that—that that is a the motivation that's coming from God Himself. So the next time we are in a pickle, uh, regardless of the degree of it, uh, that is what is going on behind the scenes. Uh, frankly, a love that passes understanding. Uh, Reichen refers to a silver coin, the fact that the coin, almost certainly in this case had an image of the king of the Caesar, the great god Caesar, on it. Um, and um, even though we too bear the image of our king, even when we are tarnished by our sin, we retain the value to God. That too, is a very unique aspect. Of our God versus all the small g gods that have ever existed. Uh, it's almost as as if this. You know when, what? Where we're going to go when we get to uh, it's beginning next week, Lord willing, when we get to that Father, uh, whose Son has just flaunted his his. Um, some of his privileges, he's taken advantage. He's he's uh, asked more of his father, and indeed demanded more of his father than he had the right to demand. <clears throat> that doesn't change his father's attitude one bit. Uh, he is he is always looking looking at that road to see if that son is walking uh, back home. And when he sees him, you you know the rest. We'll have fun looking at that uh, that parable. But um, so the second lesson that we're learning here. Is how precious we are to God. And that is a, that's just an astounding. Never ever lose uh, a sense of how precious you are to God, whether you are found or whether you are lost. Here's the third lesson. Until God finds us, we are hopelessly lost. Unlike the lost sheep or the lost son, the lost coin is lost by no one's fault. Uh, the sheep, of course, being an animal, he's doing his own thing. He's, he's uh, wandering wherever he wanted to wander, and he got lost. The sons had volitionally decided to get lost. In this case, it's a coin, it's a piece of metal. It's not lost because of anything it did. It cannot come to its senses the way that uh, repentance would indicate. It cannot indeed find itself. It is an example of helplessness. It's a coin, it's laying on the ground someplace, uh, not knowing how or why it's, it uh, is where it is. Uh, this of course brings uh, so much of, of uh, scripture and I'm not going to, to uh, go into all of it here, but Roman, you know, Romans begins, Romans one, two, and three. You have Romans one, verses 16 and 17, those clearing calls to the gospel. And then you hit verse 18 of uh, chapter one, where, where the people suppress the truth. They volitionally know God. They are created in his image, but they suppress the truth that he's implanted in them as his image bearers. And they choose sin rather than obedience. And the rest of chapter one goes downhill like a spiral. And the sin gets bigger and bigger and deeper and worse and wider it doesn't get any better when you get to chapter two. In fact, a lot of people think it's it's worse. And of course it hits the bottom in chapter three where there's all of those from about verse eight of three to 18. It's it's just ugly till to to Paul finally says, there is no one righteous, no, not one single human being. And three verses later, but God. But God sent his son, Jesus. And he sent that son to go to a cross that he might be uh, able to to look at sinful people like you, like me, and say, when I look at you, I see my son, Jesus. Substitutionary atonement, double imputation. Not only does Jesus take my sin away from me, but he imputes his righteousness to me. I am a sinful person, period. But in the eyes of God, the father, he sees the imputed love and, and perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what uh, is going on here. We have nothing, no power to do any of anything about this. Um, I wanted to. Uh, uh, I'll just mention a little bit. Uh, this is this is a book, uh, David Pallison. I've mentioned it before. I use it often. I would encourage all of you to use it often. It's called God's Grace in Your Suffering. I wanted to bring in another kind of lostness. These three parables do not bring in this kind of lostness, but we've prayed for them already today. Suppose the doctor says it's cancer. Uh, I'll bet most of us in this room have heard a doctor say that about something in our lives. Uh, sometimes they're able to to make it work uh, through God's grace and sometimes not. Well, David Powlison, who was... Uh, I, it, just uh, such a such a wonderful strong man of God. He ran the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation up at Westminster, and he um, he died of of uh, cancer. But um, if you, by the way, if you go on that website, the website, the CCEF Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation website, uh, David did an extraordinary about a three hour interview with his best friend, his college roommate from Harvard, when David was an unbeliever. <laughs> Uh, And this roommate, uh, a couple of decades later, as David is dying, David would die within a month or so of this particular interview. But that full interview is is on the website. And it is is stunning in its uniqueness and in the depth of faith that comes from both those men as his old college roommate uh, interviews him. But in this book, David talks a little bit about that. Uh, He says, my second story, I'd come down with diverticulitis multiple times. David had a lot of of health issues. And my doctor, a woman who did not miss words, said you could die from one of these events. You need to get surgery soon. So I did. Now, here's an experience that probably most of us can identify with. I awakened from anesthesia in the usual post-operative haze. That much was predictable. But something far more unsettling was also occurring. Everything seemed to be happening at a distance. I felt depersonalized. Life had a sense of unreality, emotional disconnect, internal disorientation. I, in quotes, had become detached from myself, in quotes. How do other people usually respond to someone in this state? Because it has a physiological substrate as a possible side effect of anesthesia, the easiest response is to say, don't worry and go away as your body reestablishes normal functioning. That was what the nurse told me. She viewed me as a malfunctioning body. True as far as it goes, but inside that body is a person experiencing something extremely distressing. What he's experiencing is lostness. I phoned a trusted friend and sketched what was going on. To this day, he has not been able to explain exactly why he did what he did next. He did not give me physiological information. He did not say, don't worry. He did not ask me questions. He did not try to counsel me. He did not pray for me. Instead, he read the Psalms of Ascent, one after another, 15 straight Psalms without pause, without comment from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. He cared about me as a person. He said later that the only thing he was thinking was that he knew I loved the Psalms. He figured reading Psalms was a good thing because they're lucid, honest, sane, and full of the Lord. He was right. When he finished, I was reconnected to myself, and then he prayed for me, and I gave heartfelt thanks to God. Psalms brings God and a person together. Um, I just mentioned that very briefly because we're not going to encounter that kind of lostness in chapter 15, but it is an equal valid sense of lostness uh, that uh, can be uh, very, very palpable. <clears throat> uh, the fourth lesson we see here, we may be helplessly lost, but not hopelessly <clears throat> lost. Now, this is something I learned yesterday. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how dumb do you have to be to, to be this long and, and be finally figuring some things out, but... That's me. Uh, I was looking at uh, some stuff that has to do with uh, the end times, which I normally avoid like the plague because A, nobody really knows. B, it doesn't really matter anyway. I'm going to do the same things I'm going to do, whether Jesus comes an hour and a half from now, or whether it's 10 million years from now. Uh, but it does, it's in scripture sort of tangentially, symbolically. And a lot of people lose a lot of sleep, write a lot of books, and make a lot of very poor movies about it. Uh, so I was struggling with this, and then I picked up two of my really good friends, uh, Herman Ritterbos and Gerhardus Voss, B-O-N. Uh, These men probably have written better about Paul, the Apostle Paul, than any two humans on planet Earth. And they showed me something that I had never, ever seen, and that is that in all of the Pauline letters, hope runs through them like an arrow. And he he does that by pointing to the fact that in, at the end of time, all is going to come out really, really well. And he took me to verses in probably eight or nine different Pauline epistles where Paul says, yeah, 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 but hope. The hope is there. Because Jesus has already brought you into his presence. You are already seated at his right hand. You are already there. And of course, we've heard that phrase already, not yet. It's a very, very appropriate way to think about life. I am already a child of God. I am already seated in the heavenlies, but I'm not yet there. I'll get there eventually, one way or another, through one mechanism or another, at one point in time or another, and eventually... All is going to be united with Jesus Christ, and that is the hope. And therefore, one of the lessons that you see in this uh, little three verses here is while we may be helpless to find, the coin itself can't find itself. It can't yell to the lady, here I am under the bed, whatever. This coin is is not hopeless. Uh, The coin, of course, is is, uh, inanimate. The more important lesson is we are never hopeless. There is hope in it doesn't matter how bad things get. Now, I realize that's easy, easy for me to say. Dave Pallison just explained it. Uh, but we need to come in and bring the hope uh, that the gospel brings. Uh, final lesson uh, it is a joy for everyone to be found by Jesus. And you know where this goes. Uh, look at verse 9 here in chapter 15. When she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I found the coin that I'd lost. And they, of course, gather. And they have a good time. The same thing happened with the sheep Uh, in verse six. When he comes home with the sheep, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to him, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Uh, When you get uh, down to verse 10, just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And again, even in this little three verse parable about a lost coin, inanimate piece of metal, Jesus gets back to the main frame of this discussion, which is when a sinner repents, when we turn again from our sin and get back into that solid, solid association and communication with our Lord and Savior, there is rejoicing in heaven and it never ever stops. And that's why, again, don't think of of Christianity as a one-time decision that you made and then then forget it until you die. Uh, We are in and out of sin, we are sin, we'll never be anything but sin and this sort of cycle that can run through, keep, keep the positive slope on the line and keep going back and back and repenting of sin, searching for your sin, grieving over your sin, and uh, doing something about it. And the joy will just uh, be continuous. Uh, Riken concludes his little uh, coverage of this with a fascinating story, a of, of, uh, true story. Pastor Pastor named Sam Nasser of the Bayview Glen Church in Toronto, Canada. Uh, he he preached in Persian because he had an Iranian congregation there in Toronto, Canada. And he noticed a woman in the congregation week after week after week with her cell phone, and it was driving him berserk. So he called the woman to his office and said, "Look." Uh, we've got to do something about that cell phone. You cannot use your cell phone in the middle of the worship service. It's very, very, uh, it, it's, it's grievous. And she said, I'm not talking on the cell phone. I've got it on speaker mode so that my husband back in Tehran and my mother and my sister back in Tehran can hear you preach. So he says, move up next week to the front row. <laughs> So he moves her up to the front row, and next week, purportedly, his sermon uh, was on uh, loving God, and he concludes it, who wants to pray to receive God and his son Jesus Christ today? And the woman goes berserk, she's holding her phone, he says, my husband wants to come to the Lord, my mother wants to come to the Lord, my sister wants to come to the Lord. Uh, So uh, the issue, of course, is... uh, Keep pursuing the lost. Keep pursuing the lost. And when you are lost yourselves, uh, I hope that we will all realize, A, there is hope. We are already across the finish line in one sense. Not there yet, but already across the finish line. Keep hoping. Keep searching. Keep repenting. Keep growing. And keep loving a God that loves you more than you'll ever love him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, these, the Bible can just teach us so much from so little, uh, using so little few words. Uh, but Father, we do humble ourselves before you as sinful people. Do, Father, show us our sin and help us to have the willingness to repent of it uh, and turn from it and to grow in grace. But throughout all of this, Father, whenever we feel lost for whatever reason, whether it be our own sinfulness Uh, the sinfulness of other people. Uh, A message from from without us, uh, where we become like the coin and we have a disease, whatever. We had nothing to do about it, but it's going to be grievous. Uh, All of these different ways, Father, that we are lost in this world, help us to realize that you have found us and you will continue to find us and you will never stop until we are with you face to face in glory basking in the reality of what is a certain hope down on this planet. We do thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love that never, ever stops. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.